Well, hello there. It's Lee Hedgemantellas again, the principal of Bryden's Lawyers, and welcome to Law Pod episode nine. Now, today we divert our attentions back to a very interesting legal matter, and one that may be considered in particular family dynamics, because it's something that does raise its head quite often. It's not a subject with which we are particularly comfortable, but it's something that we perhaps should discuss today so as to alert people who are listening to the possibilities of being involved in this particular type of action and what would happen if they were. And what I'm speaking about is the contesting of a will. Now, to do that, I need assistance. And so I have brought along with me this morning, Amanda Azanaro, who is one of my senior solicitors in my family law and wills and estate division. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Lee. And how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Now, Amanda, you've been with us for some time. I have. Okay, but you were formerly known as Amanda Aegis. For those long-term listeners or clients of the firm, they will recognize Amanda Aegis, but recently taken the name Amanda as an arrow. That's right. And having returned to the firm from maternity leave. I have. And the little one is how old now? 16 months. Okay. All right. Well, look, t- today we're going to talk about contesting a will. And it's something that we're often consulted about by clients and the like. And it is a particularly difficult area. I think the first thing we should consider is the will itself. Now, a will, of course, is just a relatively simple document. And most wills provide, do they not, that all the assets will pass from one spouse or partner to the other and then to the children? Ordinarily, yes. Very simple, drawn up preferably by a lawyer. There are a number of, of course, very strict requirements for a will to ensure that it is valid. But once you comply with all of that, the will stands. That's correct. Okay. Now, in terms of the requirements of a will, it has to be in writing. It has to be made by someone who has legal capacity. That's correct. Because question of capacity is something that you've often got to consider. That's exactly right. So whether it's in terms of drafting a will, once a person has passed away, capacity is an area which people can question or are concerned about whether they're provided for in a will or not. So it is an area that we consider. So that would be one of the grounds to challenge a will if someone lacked capacity. That's correct. All right. But once the will's actually been prepared, and let's assume that it's all compliant, it stands, of course, and it's only activated upon the death of the person who made the will. That's right. All right. But instances can arise, can't it, where someone feels that they've been left out of the will and they may have a legitimate claim. That's right. So in those circumstances, a person might have a family provision claim available to them. And in order to be eligible to make such a claim, you need to be what's called an eligible person. So that might be a spouse including a former spouse, de facto partner, a child, a person who's living in a close and personal relationship with the deceased, including a grandchild or any other person who is living with them who is wholly or partly dependent on them at a particular time. So if you fit one of those categories and you have been left out of a will or perhaps you haven't been provided for in the way that you thought you should have, you might have a family provision claim available to you. So you have to prove to be one of the eligible persons, but you also have to establish, don't you, a need? That's right. So there are a variety of factors the court will take into consideration. But one of the big things is your financial need and perhaps your health need as well. So, and whether the willmaker should have been aware of those things and taken that into consideration when preparing their will. We often hear of difficult dynamics within family and circumstances that lead to some members perhaps not being provided for as you would expect. It happens a lot. But these are the people that are recognised by the law as being eligible persons and have an entitlement to bring a claim, family provision claim. How does the maker of the will protect themselves to the extent that they can to ensure that the distribution of the assets is in accordance with their requirements? Like for example, is there anything they can do in addition to the will to set out their reasons why they've distributed the estate the way they have? Certainly. In some cases where a will maker would like to exclude an eligible person say, we can prepare a statement for them which covers the various factors a court will take into consideration when making a family provision claim to address those factors 
factors and set out the reasons why they have chosen to exclude a particular person. All right, now I understand it that we can also incorporate in some way that letter or those instructions into the will itself? That's right, so ordinarily we would prepare the statement to address those factors and refer directly to it in their will and have it attached to the will. So with respect to eligible persons then, I think it's pretty clear who they would be. Family members, for example, if you've got three children and you only provide for two, then the third, of course, is entitled to claim, subject to establishing need and the like. But what about, let's take it a little bit further. Let's say you have a neighbor that provides long-term care and assistance to the deceased before they pass, but not a family member as such, not dependent on them. Are they entitled to put their hand up and say, well, look, I should benefit under the will, or is that a bit more tricky? It's a bit more tricky. If they can establish that they're in a close and personal relationship with the deceased, then perhaps a claim may be available to them. It would, again, depend on the size of the estate as well and the level of care and support they provided to the deceased and when there was any financial dependency in relation to that as well, but it may be a bit of a stretch. Okay. Now, we spoke earlier about the lack of capacity. That's one of the grounds upon which you can actually challenge a will. But there's another one that's of interest to me, that's undue influence. Yes. So, for example, the maker of the will is unduly influenced by someone to prepare a new will, for example, which benefits that person and leaves others out. What sort of examples of undue influence have you seen? We have seen a matter where the willmaker transferred her property to one child prior to her passing and has then amended her will to leave the balance of her estate to that particular child as well. In circumstances of undue influence, if we have evidence to support that, the court can recall property transactions up to six years prior to death. So in those circumstances, McLean was brought to have that property reinstated into the estate pool as if it were owned by the deceased at the time of her death. So it's not just simply a matter of challenging the will itself, but also any transactions prior to the death of the person concerned, which may have arisen as a result of undue influence, can also be looked at by the courts. That's right. In those particular cases, if you're not an eligible person, but you're provided for in a previous will and no longer provided for in the will subject to probate because of the undue influence, you can bring a capacity claim. And there's no limitation in bringing those claims. You just obviously have to act promptly if you're aware of those issues, because it can present some practical issues if the estate's distributed and you don't act in a timely manner. No, I understand. What about time limits though? Are there any time limit restrictions though on challenging a will after the death of the person who made the will? If you're bringing a family provision claim, yes there is, it's one year from the date of death. Probate claims, which would be your capacity or undue influence claims, there isn't a strict limitation, but as I was saying before, you need to act timely to ensure the estate's not distributed because it may present some practical issues. And within that year, the proceedings have to be brought or the challenge made to the will itself. Is there provision for extending that time period? There is, an application can be made out of time, it depends on the reason for it but if you think that you might be a person who could bring a claim you're best to give us a call speak with us so we can ascertain whether a claim is available to you and file in a timely manner so if a claim is brought then the estate is defended and that would be by the executor or the executrix who would engage solicitors to act on behalf of the estate correct and is it fair to say that invariably the executor or the executrix, that it's the representative of the estate, would simply just sit back and allow the court to determine these matters? Not necessarily. The executor is heavily involved in these sorts of claims. They're representing the estate, so they need to be sure that they're acting in the best interests of the estate. So often they might be in consultation with the remaining beneficiaries to see whether an outcome can be achieved between all parties without it going to a hearing. But does the executor or executrix involve themselves in the merits of the claim itself, or they just simply marshal the relevant evidence, beneficiaries, 
solicitors and the like. That's right. And then the matter will be ultimately dealt with in court? It would depend. We have had matters where we've been able to achieve a resolution without a party commencing proceeding, but it just depends on the type of matter. All right. If they have to go to court, of course, there would be a mediation process, I'm assuming. Yes. Where the parties are sent to a mediation to try and resolve their differences. That's correct. And obviously people are very concerned about legal costs as well. If there is a legitimate claim brought, is it the case that the legal costs are borne by the estate or do they come out of the share of the person seeking to challenge the will? Yes, the estate costs will be paid by the estate and ordinarily whoever's bringing the claim, their costs will come out of whatever share they may receive. All right, so that's another factor that has to be brought into account to decide whether or not it's worthwhile actually prosecuting a challenge or not. I suppose the answer to all of this is that if you are concerned for whatever reason, you should engage Bryden's lawyers, contact us and obtain some advice, at least some preliminary advice as to firstly, whether you are an eligible person and secondly, what the prospects of success would be in a claim. That's right. Because we've been doing this for quite some time now. A really long time. Yeah, and we do it well. We do. (laughs) All right, look, Amanda, thank you very much for being with us today and speaking with us on LawPod episode nine. I think it's been illuminating for me, but also hopefully for all our listeners as well. And we will be looking at doing something of interest again next week. So if there's any particular subject matter that you are interested in hearing about, please email us directly at lawpod at brydens.com.au. And do not forget to follow us on all our social media platforms, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. So again, thank you to you, Amanda. Thank you very much. And thank you to all for listening again.